This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. <laughs> Edward Dowd, <laughs> let's try this again. <laughs> Thank you for joining me in the trenches. <laughs> Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, I was just asking you a moment ago, but I'll ask you again. How is the information war treating you? Uh, it's going well, actually. I think uh, the information war um, due to COVID has woken up a lot of new people. I mean, years ago, I kind of had an understanding how the world worked with my financial background. And I really didn't have a lot of folks I could talk to and share my thoughts and ideas because that they sounded crazy at the time. Well, mm. I don't sound as crazy. Uh, a lot of um, what's been hidden has been revealed. And I think uh, what's going on is waking up so many people that there's more of us now than there ever have been. Yeah, and I was just saying to you, um, while it was a very difficult time for millions of people in 2020, uh, the silver lining is that it created new networks, new friendships, new alliances. Absolutely. And uh, I'll start local, then go international. Yeah. Here on Maui, um, you know, I'm an ex-Wall Street guy. Uh, I came to Maui in 2014, and they had some of the most draconian vaccine mandates and passports, and you couldn't go to restaurants, you couldn't uh, go to the gym, you couldn't do a lot of things. And... I got involved in some of the uh, protests. And what was interesting to me was, you know, a lot of people just, you know, I call them the sheep, ran off the cliff. And those of us who were standing on the edge of the cliff, I looked to my left, I looked to my right. And I just, I wouldn't have, have imagined that I would be hanging out with these people under any other circumstances. So, you know, I'm a I'm a, I'm a health nut enthusiast. I'm a carnivore kind of guy. That's my diet. I'm standing next to vegans and hippies and black people and Hispanic people and I'm next Wall Street. So, you know, the people that I now hang out with are nothing like the people I used to hang out with. And I think it's great. It's I, there's no blue team. There's no red team. It's uh, team humanity. And then, yes, uh, internationally, because of my my 15 minutes of fame, I've been able to make lots of new friends and contacts. And I just started a new hedge fund with two gentlemen from Portugal that have the same values that we have, that think the same way we do. And we're trying to create alternative economic um, realities. I mean, we're going to, this hedge fund is only going to have clients that think like us. We're not going to take money from folks that uh, don't agree with us. And that's what we're going to do. It's part of that idea that has really flourished in the last couple of years of networking with like-minded people. Oh, it's it's amazing, and the I don't know about you, but I'm sure you found that the ideas and the camaraderie and the trust that's initially that's established immediately, as opposed to when you go into business with someone or you affiliate with someone, you don't know what they think really. But this issue kind of cuts to the core of, of human values. You, you know, when someone agrees with us about what's going on, you 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 don't have to do a, a lot of vetting, and and you know I. What I saw going on in the States, and I'm sure you saw um, where you are, this othering of people and people that I thought had integrity and ethics that were so quick to others, to, to, to other other people and make them demons because they didn't take a, an experimental jab. 
that I've, I've, I've lost a lot of friends, but I've gained way more than I lost. What is your background? So uh, I'm, I'm your typical Wall Street guy. I graduated from uh, Notre Dame and went to HSBC. That's Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. Uh, and I was uh, in Chicago as an institutional fixed income salesperson. And that's when I learned how the guts of the capital markets work, currencies, bonds, how it works, how capital flows across the globe. Uh, I wanted to get into equities. I went back to business school in Indiana University, then went uh, to uh, from there to uh, Donaldson Lufkin Generet, which was an investment bank. Um, and I did equity research. I was an electric utility analyst, which was, at, you know, I, I went there in 1997, right before the dot-com boom. But I was down the hall from all the uh, internet dot-com investment bankers and research people. And I saw, that's when I got the taste of what how the game really works, okay? I saw fraud there. There was something called due diligence that used to be done where, you know, in the old days you would, make sure a company had revenues and was profitable, but we, they were bringing companies public that had no revenues. And it was, and, and, and it was justified because the stocks were going up because of the, uh, the exuberance that was going on in the markets and the, the Federal Reserve easy money that was being um, promulgated primarily because they were getting ready for Y2K. They were, everyone was worried about Y2K and you know, that the world was gonna shut down. That was a big scam. Um, so, you know, and then I went on to BlackRock and became a portfolio manager for 10 years and picked stocks, managed a large cap growth portfolio that we grew from two to 14 billion through uh, performance and also just winning business. And I learned about, you know, how the world really works. Uh, I learned about fraud. I learned about uh, the system. And um, when you start to see how the world really works, it kind of jades you a little bit. And, 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 and you know, I, I'm kind of a very inquisitive person, and I like to I like to win. So I always try to figure out how the system works. And Wall Street's very um, siloed. So when the Great Financial Crisis came, I saw it coming because of my um, fixed income background, and I was able to steer you know the ship as best we could through that storm at BlackRock. And you know uh, I got to tell you. After the great financial crisis, I saw things starting to happen that really, I started to see the laying of the groundwork of total control. When the word BlackRock is mentioned, it generally uh, doesn't resonate well uh, these days. Is that, is that fair or is it unfair? So when I was there, BlackRock, uh, so I went to a firm that was, we were the first asset acquisition of BlackRock. They bought State Street Research and Investment Management. I was there a year and then they bought us. And the firm was a great firm. It was very small. It was, there was a lot of camaraderie and uh, they bought an equity business. Then they, then they did more acquisitions. They bought Merrill Lynch Asset Management and then they bought Barclays Asset Management. And that's how they got into the passive ETF business. And through acquisition, they were traditionally just a fixed income shop that grew their way into equities via acquisition and, be, and have become what we now know as the largest asset manager on the planet. And the firm, when I was there, was different. It was, it was great. And there was a lot of integrity and ethics. Um, and then it just, institutionally, when things get super big, um, politics get involved and people that were your boss 
you didn't respect and you know not not the not the founders but you know the people that the middle management layers and so the firm changed and i left in 2012 and i haven't been there 10 for 10 years and everybody that i know that was there is gone so whatever the firm has become i'm not familiar with it but what i do know the biggest complaint is that they control the world well yes and no and let me let me give you some facts about that. Uh, in the old days, before passive passive investments as an asset class grew, there used to be traditional portfolio managers like myself that would pick stocks. Passive investments just basically are indexing, okay? And um, the fees are lower, but uh, in the old days, when a company would have its shareholder meeting, I would vote on the shareholder meeting, and the other portfolio managers would vote. With passive investments, an executive committee, usually the top people at the firm, vote the shares. And Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett have complained that there's too much power now in these firms like Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street, which is a function of the market shifting from act, what we call active investing to passive. So is, 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 are, is, are the people at BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street sitting in a room, a smoke-filled room, smoking cigars, laughing maniacally? No. But do they have the ability to potentially abuse the power they have? I would suspect, sure. I can't prove that, but that's what I think is really going on. There's just too much power in too few hands. Take me back, Ed, if you don't mind, to where you started seeing uh, the puzzle pieces fitting? So after the great financial crisis, you get to go, so back then, uh, the realist, so the fraud in the dot-com fraud was corporate fraud. That was facilitated by Federal Reserve easy money. Then that blew up and we went into a recession. We had 9-11 and the Fed do what, did what the Fed always does. They they pump money into the system. They don't always control where the money goes. I mean, uh, so, but usually at the end of a Fed cycle, there's fraud, okay? Because, you know, there's actual legitimate business reasons. Then the party lasts too long. Then there's fraud. The party goes on too long. Well, corporate fraud, dot-com fraud in late uh, 2000s. Then they pumped the system up again. And then we had real estate fraud. The problem this time was the real estate fraud was so big, it was it was basically on the bank's balance sheets because real estate is a huge portion of all the investments in, in, in the world. So the banks became involved in this fraud. And at the end of it, you know, there were things called liar loans and giving mortgages to people that had no ability to ever pay them. And the reason that this was going on is because everyone was making money. And so it was greed, just greed. And then it blew up when the Fed started raising interest rates in 2006 and seven, blew up. And it was a systemic problem. So what we had was all these investment banks were gonna go bust. There would be, you know, chaos in the streets. So, you know, uh, Hank Paulson, the then treasury secretary, a former alumni of Goldman Sachs, begged Congress for a trillion dollars in deficit spending to bail out Wall Street. Now, I, I didn't have a problem with that, but then no one went to jail. No one went to jail. Not one banker went to jail. No one. No one. 
Not, not a single banker went to jail. So what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Washington, D.C. gained power and control over Wall Street. So Wall Street silently was kind of co-opted into this Leviathan known as the government. And uh, these institutions paid tremendous amounts of fines over the next six years. These fines went to, you know, consumer protection, um, quote unquote, consumer protection funds. Those funds ended up being NGOs and basically just leftist government, uh, leftist uh, affiliated uh, entities that Obama and others controlled at the time because Obama was in office. So that was the beginning of, uh, of, of, of what I saw as a consolidation of government power. The other tell for me was I remember Larry Fink right after this happened said, and, you know, again, he wasn't he, he just was recognizing the reality, he said there's going to be more of a focus in Washington, D.C. We have to create a public relations arm in D.C. So they sent the head of marketing, Barbara Novak, to D.C. to head up the uh, lobbying effort because they knew the power had shifted. Uh, and, you know, the regulators were all sitting in uh, the offices of these investment banks. So Wall Street. I won't say that I have any definitive facts, but in a soft way, it was co-opted by the government and, and, and the central banks. So now let's fast forward over the next, you know, uh, since 2009, when this occurred, um, what did we see in the economy? We saw central banks across the globe printing money, and we saw pretty much a zombie economy and huge deficit spending by governments across the globe to keep the economy from imploding. And so what, what happened is governments across the globe and central banks just became a bigger part of the economy. So, you know, from a systemic standpoint, power was consolidating. Now, we also know that the party can't last forever. And even though things have seemed somewhat peaceful up until 2020, there were cracks in the financial system and there was a global debt crisis coming and we saw it in 2019 and it was coming. And I always, you know, those of us on Wall Street who know how the system works speculated, well, how are they gonna cover this, cover it up? We thought it would be war, you know, traditional, the traditional way to default is through war and, and distract populations because politicians and central bankers can't be blamed for the, the the disaster that inevitably comes from a debt-based monetary system. It's just built into the system. That's how it works. Boom and bust. How does the financial system actually work? So the U.S. is the world reserve currency, okay? And in the 70s, we went off the gold standard and went on to um, uh, the petrodollar. And that's when... Uh, central banking and governments were untethered from a gold standard and they're able to just, you know, grow debt to fund things. That was Nixon. So, eh? Yeah, that was Nixon. And so uh, basically since then, we've had a series of boom and busts. You know, we had the stock market crash in the 80s. We had a real estate crash in the early 90s. Then we had a big one in, in uh, 2007, 8. And basically 
the way the system works, when you print a dollar, there's a corresponding debt. So you just don't print money. Um, you print debt associated with that money. So it's a debt-based fiat system. And what's interesting, and I'm going to just throw this out there, there are a couple central banks that don't do that. Let me name them. Syria, formerly Iraq, formerly Libya, Iran. No ways. Yeah. They just and print money. It, they don't they don't print debt with it. And every single every single one of those has been invaded. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I I have I I'm just saying it's it's a it's a strange coincidence. Would the world be better off without central banking? Uh, I'm of the opinion that it's a, it's if I was the devil himself and I wanted to create chaos and war, famine, destruction, I would create the current monetary system. So I think the world would be better off without a debt-based fiat monetary system, in my humble opinion. And what, go back to trading things that are more scarce, like gold and Bitcoin? Well, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but you, you, you know, you don't need, you can, a, a country can print money and control its money supply without having debt associated with it. And the problem is that would not be profitable for the bankers. The bankers wouldn't like that because, you know, you make money when you issue debt and collect interest. I'm going to throw something else at you that's kind of interesting. Um, most things in, well, everything in nature and even human cycles and cycles of life and nature run according to Fibonacci golden ratio rules. Let's call them natural law. Let's call them God's law. Okay. One thing that doesn't grow at that rate is interest compounding upon interest that grows at an unnatural rate. Uh, it's just, a, it's just an interesting phenomenon. And it, and the, and the debt, the way the interest compounds and the debt that you owe, you always inevitably have these long cycle, multi-generational cycles of default. You can never pay it back over Gee. multiple multiple generations. So 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 what what you're painting here is a picture of immense debt globally. Correct. And it's impossible. It's impossible to rectify. And uh, hence the Great Reset we're hearing about. And of course, the Great Reset. Sure. They're couching in terms of COVID, pandemics, climate change, and um, other things that have nothing to do with the real problem. The real problem is all these um, obligations can never be paid, and you can't blame yourself for that. So you have to blame something else. Well, this is why we're talking about the Great Reset and all this nonsense that's it is a big distraction from the real culprit, which is central banking and politicians. You know, the, the resistance, the movement that we're all involved in is going to contribute to the renaissance that's coming. Now, there's a lot of pain between now and then, because I'm, I'm of the b belief that from every great evil comes a great good. And there's been evil for a long, long time. And now it's just being exposed. So more and more people can see it. I mean, if you're a citizen of the U.S., you don't realize that the system that we 
that your lifestyle and your way of living has been supported through constant wars and 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 uh, resource acquisition via oil, what have you. Um, you know, the life we live in the U.S. has been metaphysically supported through evil, in my opinion. I'm not familiar with the going direct term, but I do know what happened in 2019. Global growth was rolling over. And it was a function of the fact that um, people were starting to, de to default globally, which would then cascade and cause a systemic debt crisis. Um, and evidence of that was in uh, September, October, <coughs> November. Excuse me. The, no, no worries. There was a uh, there was what we call a repo, a repurchase agreement crisis at the Federal Reserve. Overnight interest rates were spiking up, so the the guts of the system were becoming unglued. And then, you know, strangely, oddly enough, you go forward a couple months, a virus appears on the scene that causes global havoc, and they shut down the economies temporarily, giving the central banks across the globe and governments an excuse to print money like we've never seen before. The Federal Reserve printed 65% more money than the prior year. That's the largest single year increase in the history of the Federal Reserve. That's, a, that, lot of that, that's a lot of money. 65% did you say? Yeah, year over year increase in the money supply. Unreal. And what that did, what that did is it, in my humble opinion, it plugged a hole temporarily. Fast forward to 2022, guess what's going on? Things are unraveling, inflation's raging. It's it's a disaster, and we're 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 at the precipice of a, of a financial economic collapse. And the economic collapse is already going on. The financial markets are about to figure this out fairly shortly. They already have a little bit. If you remember correctly, starting in January, there's a 20% correction in the U.S. stock market. We've had a little temporary summer rally that I think peaked a couple of weeks ago. And we are, I think, about to begin a major move down into the midterms here in the U.S. Uh, we went off the gold standard. And that was called, I think that was Bretton Woods 2 or 3. I can't remember. But that's Bretton Bretton Woods is where they all go and meet and reset things. Well, we're going to have a Bretton Woods 4 where they reset things and try to introduce what I believe is a central bank digital currency, um, you know, which if, if we want to get down to brass tacks, that's a, that, they'll be able to monitor every transaction you do, control you, uh, social credit scores, turn off your, you know, your ability to pay things if you don't behave. I mean, the, the control from this reset I think is dire. And that's why we need to fight it and come up with a new system. I don't know, I'm not smart enough to come up with a new system, but I think the system is definitely gonna have to be based on not debt at all. Um, <clears throat> before we go any further, what are your views on crypto? Is that a possible parallel? So crypto, I, I missed the crypto, I'm not a crypto kid, I missed it. Um, mm. I will say that I like the technology. It's a ledger system that's transparent. I do believe, like 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 everything else, it was caught up in uh, liquidity uh, and it, it it formed its own bubble. So crypto, Bitcoin in in particular, I think is going to be viable long term. Some of these other um, coins are 
going to go bankrupt and they're garbage. But crypto uh, and Bitcoin and maybe a couple others will be long lasting. Um, I don't think you're going to go back any time to, to the highs we saw coming into this year. But long term, I think it's a place to store wealth and transact away from the eyes of, of uh, our overlords. Yeah, I mean, I ask that because I get the sense that the global economy is in a hospital bed on life support. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you look at the corporate press, it's, it's, it's all uh, rainbows and unicorns, the financial press. The real economy is just tanking. Uh, there's something called the Baltic Dry Index, which is a uh, index of um, shipping prices to ship commodities across the world. So that that's like a baseline. What's economic activity? That went to a new low a, a week or two ago, and I suspect stock markets and bond markets will follow soon um, into the fall. So, in here in, in Hawaii, real estate transactions are down 27%, home prices will fall off. So things are falling off a cliff in the real world. Sure. You know, the video game we call the stock markets will follow. Are we entering a whole new paradigm? I, I believe we are. And um, the paradigm is those who want to be taken care of and are fearful and that's how tyranny and uh, totalitarian regimes get a foothold. And then there's going to be the resistance, those who want freedom, um, their own, uh, you know, making a living under their own steam away from government eyes and a renaissance. And it's going to be this, there's going to be this tug and pull between those two forces. And the people who run the show are trying to make sure there are as many of the fearful people as possible. The more of us who are not in fear the better shot we have. And I, I think the numbers have been rising. I think, you know, there were like 5% of us who knew what was going on. I think the number's now 15 to 20%. And I think that's, and as, as the government continues to, you know, gaslight us, uh, and I'm, I, when I say government, I mean global, all the governments gaslight us, lie. The lies are so ridiculous now that like people who are like not really aware of what's going on or kind of cocking their head going, that makes no sense. And that's an opportunity to convert someone to change their mind. This this vaccine debacle, which I've been involved in, I mean, the great the great news is this. They they made it so deadly uh, that people I mean it's tragic, but for the ultimate freedom they made it so dead. I think the plan was to make it a slow kill operation, in my humble opinion. Um, but it's so deadly so quickly for so many people and causes such great amounts of disability. It's And it doesn't even work. OK, that doesn't even work that a lot of people are scratching their heads. And that's good. Just all you need is like that little. What do I call window of opportunity to convert someone? Now, you don't you don't you're not going to you don't want to tell them everything, but you say, hey, the government's lied to you. Well, why would you trust them on anything? What would happen if the Fed raised interest rates? Uh, well, the Fed is raising into a recession, which they've never done before. So that's going to cause, I think, a financial panic and a deleveraging and a giant margin call across the globe. 
And if you think about it, maybe that's what they want, because uh, if you're the world reserve currency and everybody across the globe has issued debt in dollars, because that's a, a lot of people have done. China's done it. Um, Europe's done it. There's tons of dollar denominated debt, about 15 trillion. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the dollar's been going straight up. It's like hitting highs we haven't seen since the early 2000s. Why is that occurring? Well, that's because um, people are defaulting and scrambling to raise dollars to make interest payments, selling things to, to fund their dollar debt. So when you see the dollar going down, that's usually when credit creation is happening. That means things are going well. When the dollar goes up, it means there's a credit contraction and, and, a, and, a, and it's a big problem. And the Fed is raising interest rates into a recession. Also, the other interesting thing is there's never been a commodity cycle or an inflation cycle where the dollar has gone up. Usually they go exactly the opposite direction. When the dollar goes down, commodities go up. This is the first commodity cycle, inflation cycle we've ever seen where both the dollar and inflation are going up ever in the history since the petrodollar uh, came into being. Why? Does that suggest manipulation? No. What it suggests is the end of the system. Oh. The dollar is going to fail up. Fail up. And it's, Gee. It's, a lot of people don't get that. That's why I, I, I feel bad for the gold bugs. They keep buying gold. And gold eventually will be great. But right now, it, you know, it's not, you know, it's not doing what you thought it would do. Because the, the dollar will fail up. And uh, the dollar is becoming a serious problem for other countries. Other, I mean, this is a big problem. And it's causing... The, and so if you're the Federal Reserve and you're, um, you wanted to buy other countries' assets on the cheap, wouldn't you want the dollar to go straight up? Yeah. So then what role does the anti-Russian sanction play in all of this? So the biggest problem they did was they attacked the integrity of the dollar reserve system by threatening Russia with uh, debanking them from the SWIFT dollar system. And what that does is it actually, it's kind of either, either it's by design or stupidity on the Biden administration's part. What you do is, uh, <laughs> what you do is, you, you, I'll go with stupidity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what it does is it actually reduces confidence in the dollar because if you, it's basically an, a declaration of war because if you uh, limit a country's ability to bank in the global financial system, you're causing undue um, stress on their population. And uh, that will then cause other countries to say, well, if, they'll, if, they, if they're going to do it to Russia, and we ever have a problem with the U.S., wouldn't it be good to have a, a separate system in place? So it ultimately reduces confidence in the U.S. dollar. That may be by design or just stupidity, but it's not a good... These Russian sanctions are idiotic, to say the least. Well, they don't seem to be affecting Russia. No. Russia. The Russian ruble went down, and now I think it's at new highs. So whatever <laughs> they're doing isn't working. 
Um, and then while we're on that side of the world, how influential is China in all of this? China's huge. So China, uh, you know, just go back to the uh, 80s, uh, the, uh, Bush, Reagan, and then Clinton. Clinton signed the NAFTA uh, Accords and also the, uh, let China into the World Trade Organization. So China had basically, let's just call it what it was, slave labor. So basically, over the course of um, from the 80s to now, corporations have been shipping a lot of their manufacturing over to China. And China uh, was taking advantage of that because they had a huge growing population. And now China ran into problems in the great financial crisis, and they were worried. So they, um, to keep their, their uh, business afloat, they did a lot of government spending. Uh, and a lot of that spending was in what we call um, unproductive assets, real estate. There's like cities that have been built that don't have any people in them, okay? And But there's debt associated with that. What's happened in China recently is demographically, they hit what we call a wall. And demographics are a big part of economic cycles. And, you know, people who study them can get a, a glimpse into the future. And... Um, they hit their wall in 2020, like Japan did in the early 90s when they went into their deflationary death spiral. And so China is going to basically be facing economic headwinds, the likes of which we've never seen. So they're they're literally imploding right now. And when you implode internally, what do you need to keep yourself in power? You need to blame people outside your country. So China is dangerous in that it's imploding and it's gonna need a scapegoat. That scapegoat could be Taiwan, it could be the US, it could be, it doesn't matter. So debt also, as you can see, debt causes those in power to do unnatural things. So the system itself causes war and war's coming, in my humble opinion. So COVID and Ukraine, have, have these been catalysts to speed up a financial implosion or to slow it down? COVID was cover to, uh, in my humble opinion, to implement a um, control system for the inevitable collapse. So they bought themselves two years. The goal was to have vaccine mandates, reduce um, travel and introduce a vaccine mandate that then could become a digital ID than a digital central bank currency. So the idea, which doesn't seem to be working all that well because the vaccine doesn't work and is killing people, but the idea was to link this all together, you'd have to get your quarterly booster jabs. And uh, if you weren't a good citizen, you were eventually gonna be, you know, this is where they wanted to take it, this, this form of control and compliance. So COVID bought two years, that's over. Ukraine was an excuse to um, create inflation in my mind. I mean, by, by having the Ukraine war, which, you know, where all of Russia oil pipelines come through, it's the breadbasket of Europe, it's all the fertilizer, strategically, in my mind, a perfect place to cause inflation and chaos and blame it on uh, uh, Putin. So the Ukraine... The COVID and Ukraine are linked, in my humble opinion. They're, they're, they're a way to create 
control first, then chaos, and then blame it on, you know, not, the, you know, not the central bankers or the politicians, but somebody else. And then in the, in the midst of all this economic chaos, we'll be begging, you know, those of us who are in fear will be begging for, you know, the new system, whatever that is. Central bankers play a very important role in global affairs, particularly financial. But Ed, how, in your mind, how cohesive are central banks? Are they very tight or are they extremely competitive with one another? So, so after the great financial crisis, we saw, we saw unprecedented coordination in monetary policy. And, you know, I can't prove this, but I saw with my own eyes the Federal Reserve would end a, one of their QE programs and the markets would wobble. But then, you know, all of a sudden the Bank of Japan would up their uh, printing and then and then they would hand it off to the EU. So there was this kind of this keeping things, you know, so, so no one central bank wanted to be appearing to be printing money just to print money. So there was this kind of this handing off process. I think now uh, it's every man for himself. I think I think the, the and that's what we're going to that's where we're, we're going to see currency wars. And that's, you know, the dollar going straight up is, in my mind, indicative of currency wars beginning. Well, the, the sovereign debt bubble has, you know, created a bubble in everything, real estate, crypto, stocks, uh, corporate bonds. And as a sovereign debt bubble bursts, it's going to cause an unwinding of everything. So that's. You know, you can't sustain debt forever. And, it, and there's always uh, a, a time of reckoning. Throughout history, there always has been. If you look at the ancient Roman Roman Empire, they had a waterfall event in their currency. Everything ends if it's debt-based. Just that you just, it just, it just, it's the cycle. So if, if the US dollar is tanking, uh, what does that mean? What's next? Well, it's not tanking. It's going to fail up. But eventually, uh, when it when it fails up and causes economic chaos, there'll be this Bretton Woods four where all the muckety mucks get together and, you know, there's a crisis and then they all decide something and then we're supposed to accept it. The, the key is we're not the resistance key is to have a seat at the table and or at least make people aware of what's going on. Uh, the problem right now is. In, in Asia, they have a demographic problem. China is, uh, it just hit its wall. South Korea is a disaster looming, and same with Japan. So they're, they are going to be struggling with growth. And so how do you grow? You have to, um, if you're an exporter, which China is, if you're and Japan and South Korea, if you export, you need a cheap currency. So I see wars coming for sure. And it's going to be east-west because where we we consume, they produce. Russia, you know, was a communist country and it imploded. Um, we tried in the West to come in and do what we normally do, take over, and then they kicked us out. And I think the Western oligarchs and governments have been pretty miffed ever since. So, you know, there's a lot of natural resources in Russia. It's it's a uh, it's also, um, a, it's, I think it's Orthodox Christian, and it doesn't seem to be um, abiding by the woke uh, cultural nonsense. 
So they're they're a natural target. I think woke is a is a scheme uh, to befuddle and divide. And woke wokeness is 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 absolute nonsense because if you take it to its logical conclusion, you, you know I could I could say I identify as a dog and you have to call me a dog and if you don't I can I mean it's it's insanity it's like it's it's a perversion of reality on purpose to divide to keep everybody divided you know I like, there's a meme that I love it's it shows um, a king on a parapet with a you know, his advisor next to him. And he's looking out at the peasants and the peasants have their pitchforks and, and um, torches. And the advisor leans over and says, you don't have to fight them. You just have to convince the pitchfork people that the torch people want their pitchforks. That's it. That's it. That's been going on forever. And that's what woke, woke is just another level of that. Climate change. I know you've spoken, for example, about the energy crisis. That's unfolding right now in Europe? The, the energy crisis is manufactured through policy. Mm. Um, and how do I know that? Well, because we've never seen the dollar go up and inflation go up at the same time. So most of what's happening is policy induced. So what did the EU do? They started you know, decommissioning the nu nuclear reactors. They got rid of coal. They started, you know, they, 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 you know, Trump said, hey, don't buy all your natural gas from Russia because that might come back to haunt you. So they did. They didn't listen to him and they did. And now we have a manufactured crisis. There's plenty of energy in the U.S. What did Biden do on day one of his administration? Day one executive order to stop the Keystone Pipeline initiative. So and then, you know, we're not let, we're not we're regulating our ener energy industry to death. Uh, we're not allowing new drilling. I mean, there's plenty of stuff out there. There just is. Uh, I don't. I'm not a big buyer that the the energy supply is finite. There's plenty of energy, and there's also and there's also technologies that have been suppressed, like free energy, uh, battery technology that is better than the ones we have. We know all about this. There, there, there's ways to create energy that are clean, efficient, that don't cost a lot of money. The reason we don't do that is because there's whole networks and systems that thrive off of petroleum and natural gas. <coughs> Nikola Tesla. <coughs> Excuse me, I had something stuck in my throat there. <laughs> it's not something that a lot of people do because those people, I, I don't want to get conspiratorial. Mm. I, a lot of people who discover these things just seem to disappear um, and or their technology gets bought and then, you know, put it in a warehouse. Um, so, you know, this whole energy thing is manufactured, this whole energy crisis is manufactured to create, um, a, a reaction and the reaction is please save me. And then they, they introduce the system, right? And then let me tell climate change is nonsense. And you want to know why I say that? Because we all know, we've all heard the stories about the temperature readings being falsified and discussion of climate never talks about the single biggest contributor to the Earth's climate, that you know, the big yellow ball in the sky. We never talk about that. And I'm a, a student of cycles. There's something called sun cycles. We're entering what's called the grand solar minimum right now. The Earth is cooling. It's not getting uh, warmer. It's actually cooling. And you know, any discussion of climate change without acknowledging the big ball in the sky is garbage. 
sorry, it just is. And they never talk about it. Climate change, in my opinion, is control. Control of, it's a way to tax people. It's a way to scam people. It's a way to, you know, justify depopulation. I mean, it's, you know, oh, humans are causing global warming. So there needs to be less of us. You si- if you sign up to that, you're signing up to some sa- satanic, nonsensical lie. That's my humble opinion. Well, I mean, you're preaching to the converted. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've, uh, I actually, I once upon a time, I'll quickly just tell you an anecdote. I once upon a time interviewed a, a gentleman from Extinction Rebellion. Have you heard of them? Um, are these the people that dress up? And yes. Either, okay, yeah, I think, I think I've seen their stuff. And... Um, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, is, is, in your opinion, is the sun the biggest driver of temperature? And his answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. How, how do you go further after that? No, you're, you know, you really, it's a cult. It's a, it's a, look, this is a death cult. Yeah. Climate, the, the climate warriors... And the Covidians who want to jab themselves with the boosters. I mean, it's a de- it's a strange death cult. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, let's segue a little bit to your book, which uh, had a foreword written by Bobby Kennedy, who was also on my show. Uh, Cause unknown. For those who don't know yeah, what so it's about, I'm writing. A, I'm writing a book. I signed a contract with Tony Lyons of Skyhorse Publishing. I'm writing it with uh, Gavin DeBecker, and. Uh, Forward by JFK, Bobby Kennedy, and um, it's going to be due out November eighth. It's called Cause Unknown. The RFK. Epidemic. RFK. Sorry, R- you. R- sorry, RFK. Sorry, um, uh, Robert Kennedy. Sorry. Um, uh, it's called Cause Unknown: The Epidemic of Sudden Death in 2021 and 2022. And basically, we're going to put a human face on this. We're going to show uh, a, a, a tremendous amount of news stories. Uh, of young, fit, supreme athletes dying suddenly, either on the field or shortly thereafter. And we're going to, you know, anecdotally, we're going to show that that wasn't happening before 2021. Now, then we're going to segue into my work, which is the metadata, the life insurance data, the CDC data, the UK ONS data. There's tons of databases that are showing strange all-cause mortality that wasn't here prior to uh, 2019, uh, 2020. And even 2020, um, before the vaccines, it was mostly old people who died. But now, mysteriously, young people are dropping dead in 2021 and 2022. And I find that curious because I, I, I challenge anyone in the scientific community to find a virologist who will say that, that the coronavirus mutated and only affects certain ages now. I find anyone. I find I challenge anyone to find a virologist who will say that, because there's no such thing. It's 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 poppycock. When does your book come out? Uh, November November eighth. And it'll be on Amazon and everywhere else. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, you can pre-order it now on Amazon. I have an author page, and uh, you can you can buy it right now if you want. I wish there were a way to compete with Amazon, so that we don't have to support Amazon. You know, I I don't know about you guys, but when this went down in 2020 and I saw all the local businesses shut down, 
but not the big box stores and not Amazon. I said to myself, that that smells. And it felt to me like that there's a, you know, a Rico case to be made, racketeering case. And uh, I'm not supporting it. I mean, I, I, I rarely order from Amazon. And when I do, it's because it's something I need. But I, I go local now. I support. I try to buy everything locally. And I just do, do without a lot of stuff. I no longer, I'm no longer doing the Amazon box thing where it comes to my house every day. Mm. I just refuse to do it. So looking back at our conversation now, what is your prognosis? Uh, prognosis near term is it's going to get weirder and weirder and more chaotic. But the key is to not live in fear. The key is to have knowledge of what's going on. The key is to network with people like you and me and others and have people who have your back. I gave a speech before a bunch of rich people in June who are starting to wake up to what's going on and wanted some advice. And I said, look, if you think your hired help is going to be there for you and it's based on a transaction like money, I got another, I got news for you. You need other like-minded people that have your back that are based on human connection. If you know, these bodyguards, these drivers, when shit hits the fan, they'll disappear because they have no relationship with you other than this. And that's not going to mm. work. And uh, so it's going to get weird. It's going to get tough. Uh, but there's a renaissance coming and you want to be of a mind frame and a mindset where you're spiritually fit, mentally fit and physically fit and uh, take care of your health. Um, just, you know, be kind to others and network. I think it's going to be okay for those of us who have to keep our heads on. There'll be opportunities as well. I mean, you know, if, if stocks go down 90% and you have money, you can buy some stocks. It, they'll come back eventually. So there's opportunities if you're not living in fear. And it's the people who are fear-based that are going to, I mean, they're just going to lose it. What you're talking about is something that I call the white pill. The what? The white pill is what you're talking about. It's oh, a, the white pill. Yes. I, like I think it. it I think it's I think it's a wonderful metaphor. You know you know how the pulls work, right? Yeah, the uh, the the blue, the red, the black. I like the white. The white is basically what you just said, what you just described. It's winning. Yeah, and when and, and you know, I, I'm an ex Wall Street guy. I had a lot more money than I do now because I went through a divorce, and I'm happier now than I ever have been because of my. Um, being of service to people, helping people, meeting new... Like, I'm happier now. I, I focus on my health. I mean, if you could see a picture of me back in the Wall Street days, I was 60 pounds heavier, looking like I was going to drop dead at any moment. So this is what you and I are talking about, is like taking control of your life, and you don't need to have a bunch of stuff to be happy. You just don't. Mm. And you know, that's where we're going. On a, on a battleground... What is your position? Here's the deal. Human beings process information via storytelling. That's how we genetically uh, evolved. We sat around campfires telling stories about our ancestors. That's how culture occurred. It's how human beings process information. The folks who run the show have known this forever. They create narratives. There's been narrative creation for as long as there's been a, a newspaper or a television. 
Um, now it's at the point where it's total control. They didn't have total control. They could, they could kind of get their narrative in, but now it's total control. So they have their narrative, and those of us in the resistance have the truth, and we have to counter their narrative, and we have to be um, just as uh, convincing as they are and not be all over the place. We have to tell a, a concise narrative, a narrative of truth, we're, they're what I call dark alchemists. We're the white alchemists. We're, 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 we're and what alchemy, all alchemy really is, is that it's, it's not turning lead into gold. It's changing perception. That's what true alchemy is. And we have to change people's perceptions and hearts. And that's why I'm on this battleground is to just change the perception of what, what you're in. Because what you're in is a system that wants to put you on drugs, feed you poison, and extract all your wealth through sickness and death. So once you realize that's what you're in, go the other way and take control. That's good enough. Ed, where can I follow you? Um, I used to be on Twitter, but they banned me permanently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on, I'm on Gatter. Uh, uh, Edward Dowd, at Edward Dowd, D-O-W-D. And I'm going to be launching a website in the next day or two that's going to have kind of my narrative of what's going on with the vaccines and some data that people can use to... to uh, I, I make a call to action at the end of my um, little story I tell on my website. And the call to action is to take any data I have to your local school board, your college administrators, just take my data. And the, 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 the uh, website... Uh, is they lied, people died.com. Edward Dowd, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you so much. I enjoyed uh, our talk today. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.